Lord Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to Sports Charlotte. I am your host, Ashley Mahoney. This is the Charlotte Post podcast about sports in Charlotte. Thank you so much for joining me. We have first-time guest with us today. Aaron, tell me how to say your last name. Mond. Mond. I was going to say it right, but there's a, just a slight chance I was going to say it wrong. So Aaron Mond, MLS and USL Championship veteran. Thank you so, so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. It's uh, it's a beautiful day in the Queen City. Crisp, but beautiful. Definitely. Definitely. And I appreciate you, and I appreciate you asking how to pronounce my name because not a lot of you would do. Not really? uh, Yeah, and a lot of you would butcher it, so I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, okay. So tell me the the worst that you've heard of someone trying to say your last name. Um, you know, I've gotten mound, um, which is like, it's, it's, you know, it's an easy mistake to make. But the funny story behind that is, you know, when I first uh, got into MLS, my first jersey I ever had um, in my locker on media day, the first, you know, visual of, of you know, that jersey was was spelled M-O-U-N-D. So that oh, <laughs> it kind no. of is a, uh, just one of those things that kind of sticks in my brain. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, yes, that, that's definitely on the club where you're like, Hey, that, that's not my last name. That's nope, 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 nope. <laughs> but tell us a bit about your journey. Obviously, people are familiar with you here with the Charlotte Independence, but you know, everyone's got their their once upon a time story with the game of where it goes from. Hey, this is something I enjoy doing at you know a youth to teenage level to something that's like, hey, I can do this professionally. I can make a living off this. So tell us about your journey, your once upon a time moment. Yeah, I mean, it's uh. It's really hard to, you know, uh, put it into a few words, but I'll try. Um, you know, I, I'm from Boston. Uh, I grew up playing since I was about eight years old. Uh, my dad is a Trinidadian background. Um, he was definitely spearheaded uh, my uh, dive into the game. Um, and, you know, being from Boston, you know, there Soccer wasn't the biggest sport at the time, um, but I think that my community that I grew up in was very, um, it was a, a big Caribbean community. And so soccer was there than other, um, than other places around Boston. And so, you know, my group of friends that I grew up with, uh, we just played a lot, played the game a lot. And that's really where I fell in love with it. Uh, just, you know, grassroots, local park, um, that was really where, you know, I, you know, I thought, you know, I started to dream, like, maybe I could, maybe if I work hard, I could be a professional one day. Um, but that kind of hope wasn't really, wasn't really real to me until about uh, my sophomore year of college. Um, I went to Notre Dame. I love my time at Notre Dame. Um, and it was just so uh, necessary for my uh, growth in the game and growth as a, as a player, um, and as a, and as a person, um, but that sophomore season, um, I got called into the U20 camp, um, and they were gearing up for the U20 World Cup that was in Egypt in 2009. Um, 
And so I was involved in that. Uh, and that's kind of, and that team was, uh, you know, there was a lot of pros. There weren't that many guys in college. So I kind of got the feeling like, all right, well, I can play at the professional level. And that was kind of where, um, I guess you say I kind of like had the idea like, oh, well, I think this is what I'm going to do. And I think, uh, I'm going to go all in on this professional soccer thing. And since then, you know, you've had a journey that has taken you from MLS and it's eventually led you here to Charlotte. And tell me a bit about, you know, you, you shared that, you know, your first jersey ever, you know, that feeling of that first professional jersey, seeing it in your locker and your name spelled wrong. So tell us a bit about, you know, your experience of making that jump into the league from the collegiate game and, you know, where your professional journey has gone from there. Yeah, um... So I got drafted in 2012 by Toronto FC, uh, and uh, that was like such a surreal experience. Uh, I didn't end up going to the draft, to the actual draft, but I was at home and I shared that moment with my family, and it was just a really special moment. Um, but yeah, uh, I wasn't—I don't think I was expecting to get drafted, you know, in the first round. I ended up getting drafted in the first round. Um, I don't know that people thought that I was going to make the team after I got drafted. I ended up making the team. Um, and then I got, um, that jersey. And so, like, a lot of these instances, like, it was, it was a real, like, chip on your shoulder moment, I guess you can say. Um, and that jersey definitely was something that had stuck to me throughout my entire career and has been a motivation. Um, for whatever reason, um, but, um, you know, definitely, I think that, you know, playing for Toronto was an amazing experience, an amazing year of my life. I was very lucky to get traded from Toronto to Salt Lake because I feel like in Salt Lake, um, I really came into my own as a professional. Um, and there was just a really good vibe around that Salt Lake locker room for a number of years that I was there. Uh, and it was, you know, I got to learn, I got to, um, you know, made mistakes occasionally. Um, and it was just a really, a real family feel. Um, and it was just, you know, you know, so important in my career. Um, I, I think, you know, when I look back at my career, Salt Lake was definitely the place where, uh, I feel like I came into my own and really started to enjoy life as a professional because I feel like when I first got into the league, I was trying so hard just to kind of find my feet, find out where I fit in, um, you know, uh, just try to just get better and just was working so hard to do that. And I feel like in Salt Lake, I really started to enjoy uh, my football and, uh, yeah, like I said, coming to my own. So those those years I really remember fondly. Um, and then, you know, uh, I got traded. It's so funny, like right when I was really settling into Salt Lake, I uh, bought a house there and was really loving the, the town and kind of getting traded to Vancouver like two months after that. Um, and that was uh, very bittersweet. I was so excited for the new opportunity, but, you know, Salt Lake was, you know, so, so special place in my heart. Um, but, yeah, so Vancouver was uh, really un- unbelievable city, unbelievable fans. Um, you know, it was definitely a time in my, my, uh, career where I felt like, you know, it's tough because, you know, I felt like I was playing some of my best, uh, 
football there. Um, but, you know, this game is very opinion-oriented, and um, for whatever reason, I never really got, you know, the run of games that I really you know, need to solidify myself there. Um, I ended up moving on to Charlotte uh, after two years. So that's where I am now, and, um, you know, I love Charlotte. The past two years have been great. Um, I've, I've kind of loved seeing the strides that the independents have taken and, you know, we took as a group and I'll, uh, never forget my time here as well. And you came into Charlotte when they had a bit of a coaching change with Jim McGinnis as head coach and Mike Jeffries, the inaugural head coach, becoming the general manager. And of course, everyone knows June 12th, 2019, McGinnis is sacked after that start. Mike Jeffries resumes his position as head coach. Were you brought in by Mike or by Jim or a combination of the two? So a combination of the two. I believe um, Mike was the GM and Jim was the coach when I was brought in. So, um, yeah, definitely a combination of the two. And it's it's interesting to see, you know, the the change within the club when Mike came back in. And there, of course, you know, you guys made the playoffs this past season, ended up, you know, exiting in the first round against Charleston, ended up having give the opportunity to host for the very first time in club history a playoff match, which of course, you know, there's a pandemic kind of it was an interesting year. We we will get into that as well, but there was also, you know, kind of this, it, it seemed like there was a shift from when things started off, you know, with the road win in March at Sporting KC to the way that the season ended up going in terms of it's a condensed regular season. It's, you know, a very difficult time in terms of navigating, one, the sporting world alone, two, it's an election year, which has got a lot of high tension for everyone. And three, then there is the spotlight that returns to racial and social injustice in this country. And it seemed like a number of players, particularly your teammates, Hugh Roberts, as well as Brandon Miller, really stepped up as advocates. And then you see all-time USL championship leading goal scorer, Dane Kelly, his goal celebration. Every time he scored, going to the corner, taking any, raising his fist up high, and this call of almost a dichotomy. That has been discussed at length between the front office and a lack of movement and players saying, okay, well, you're not going to do anything. Here's how we're going to continue to advocate both on and off the field, which brings me in turn to your recent advocacy this week. You put three of your game-worn autographed kits up for raffle to support those who are facing housing insecurity in terms of providing them with winter cold gear. I know I just threw a lot at you, but let's start with the uh, the raffle and your decision to step up and do that. I know you raised over $1,500 within, you know, a matter of hours in terms of being able to provide those necessary items for people who are facing housing insecurity as, you know, like you said, it's a beautiful day. It's a crisp day, but it is definitely getting colder. Yeah. Um, no, thank you for, you know, highlighting that because... You know, like you said, I have had a lot of teammates that have been inspirations. Brandon, uh, Miller, Hugh Roberts, um, and, and a number of others have also been huge inspirations of what they're doing in Charlotte, um, what they have done, and you know, what they will continue to do, I'm sure. Um, and so I, you know, I saw these coats. I follow um, 
someone on on Instagram, uh, Inglewood Barbie, and she's out of Chicago, Chicago. Um, and I saw that she had just a party on Thanksgiving um, for um, you know the homeless population out there, and I saw the like the genuine joy on a lot of their faces. Uh, you know, there was dancing, there was good food involved. Um, there was, uh, you know, essential give out, uh, giveaways and just, you know, there was a lot of happiness there and it really inspired me just like, you know, that was an example of me, to me, of someone who, you know, might, may not, may not be like some huge organi- organized corporation or whatever it is, a uh, charitable organization, but it was having a huge impact on the community and inspiring a lot of people. And so, you know, I kind of thought around like, what, what could I, what could I do? Because I know I could do something. And I saw I had a bag of jerseys just sitting there and, uh, Sharpie wasn't. So I decided to throw a couple of those and auction them off. And it's been incredible, the response. Um, and it, it really isn't about the jerseys. <laughs> um, a lot of people have reached out and uh, dug deep in their pockets, which I appreciate because you know, like you said, we're in a global pandemic right now, and there's a lot of loss around, including jobs, and uh, you know, you know money's tight for a lot of people. So to get that kind of response is uh, definitely inspiring, and definitely going to push me to, you know, be, be as active in the community uh, as I possibly can, and not just Charlotte, but uh, you know, a lot of people have reached out in different cities who want to do similar things, and I think that this can be the start of something that is of real value. And I love your, the point that you made there. And I think that's something that people so often see and say, oh, gosh, I wish I could do something. I wish I could make an impact. And they think that the only method or avenue to do so is through a large corporation. And like you said, you don't have to be a large corporation in order to impact your community, especially now. Like every Every possible step is going to help someone, whether it's, you know, something – like this, or you, you can see the work that, you know, Brandon and Hugh have done in terms of Block Love, Creative Player Foundation, Heal Charlotte. I mean, there, there are so many ways that people can step up right now. And when you see, like you said, this isn't going to be just Charlotte specific. There is a, a national and an international for that matter need, but with this particular fundraiser, was it something that benefited Charlotte specifically, or is it something that benefited other cities as well? So this um, benefited Charlotte specifically, um, and uh, happy to announce that the first 12 codes were ordered this morning, and so we're waiting waiting patiently for those. Um, you know, I felt like a kid looking for the delivery man outside. Uh, I just really am excited about it. Um, but, uh, you know, because we surpassed the goal, I do want to send two coats up to, uh, the friends in Chicago. Um, honestly, because it, it's like the coldest place in the world up there. And I couldn't even imagine a night, um, you know, as cold as it is up there. So, uh, definitely, you know, the, the need is immediate and, um, most of everything that, um, so excuse me, most of everything that, uh, was donated, was entered into the raffle, will be in Charlotte, but, you know, you know, I do want to send two coats up to Chicago because I think that, you know, like I said, she was my inspiration up there, and um, the work that's being done up there is incredible, so. 
And I also want to note that the, the coats are from a company based out of Detroit um, called Empowerment Plan. And this company is incredible. It's uh, definitely changed the way that I think about how a business needs to be set up and how it can be set up and all the possibilities um, that you can use a business for giving back. They produce these coats, um, and these coats are $125 a pop, but they they turn into sleeping bags. Um, and the production of these sleeping bag coats all happens in Detroit. Um, the man, the, uh, the seamstresses are all, um, home, uh, part of the homeless population. And what they do is they give them a stable job and, um, you, you know, help them find housing, uh, stable housing. And it's just like such a self-sufficient, um, really, really cool, uh, company. And they even use the fabric is upcycled from GM. In Patagonia, I believe. So it's, you know, it's just so, it's, it's incredible and another inspiration. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really cool. How did you come across this particular organization? Um, it's funny because I, uh, it was, took a little bit of research because I was sitting on Instagram. <laughs> Instagram is a great place. Instagram it really is. <laughs> it really is. Um, and I follow, um, the creative director of Louis Vuitton is Virgil Abloh and I follow him and he posted this, this code just on his story. And I was like, Whoa, like, did I just see that? Right. You know, like stories are pretty, pretty quick. So I went back and was looking at the code and saw the design and, uh, was just kind of blown away and then found the YouTube video of some reviews and then kind of found this website and reached out, um, and has some really good conversations with the people that run this uh, organization. So uh, I really hope that, you know, they could be a long-term partnership with Empowerment Plan because, you know, like I said, they're just incredible. And it seems like there is a, there's certainly this, I wouldn't say trend, but this movement within 2020 that has been created by, you know, a, a number of things. And whether it's, I wouldn't say revelations or just this call on so many different fronts to get involved, to have conversations, to do what you can, whether that means, you know, fostering a sense of community like you've done, like your teammates have done, like so many people are seeing, like there's a lot that, you know, people can do when they come together and it can just take, you know, an an individual's work. It took an Instagram post and obviously, you know, you see the response that has come from that. But is this something that at this point you would, been considering doing or it's just something that you know you felt a, a call on your heart that said you know now now's the time now's the time to get involved um yeah definitely was you know playing around with different ideas of how i can get involved but this uh when i kind of saw the opportunity it just kind of clicked and made sense um for for right now um and yeah you know i i can see it evolving um I also am pretty involved in real estate um, as kind of a side hustle thing that I, you know, um, have tried, been trying to build and I can see it, you know, there's a natural progression there and I hope that, you know, the two can be uh, hand in hand because like you said, the housing and security thing is, is real and it's growing and um, it's just, it seems like 
so solvable. You know what I mean? Like there's so much space, there's so many resources, and we really shouldn't be going through these kind of things. So, um, but like you said, uh, you know, I would say like the way I look at history and, um, you know, when things are getting done, like real impactful things in, in communities and around the world, it's done by regular people. It's done by the masses. It's done by, you know, you know, people like you and I. So, uh, you know, like you said, it, it's important to, yes, put that pressure on corporations. Yes, um, continue to support uh, some of these charitable organizations. But in the meantime, there's things that we can do as individuals, as small groups, as groups of friends, as, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, your, your tribe, your group, you know, there's things that we can do um, to make a huge impact. You mentioned real estate as a side hustle. How did you get into that? And walk us through what a, what's like being a professional athlete with a side hustle? Uh, um, yeah, so um, how did I get into real estate? I, so in Salt Lake, I, I spoke about, you know, buying that house right before I was traded. Uh, one of um, the season ticket holders, I was having a conversation with the after the game. After was a random game, I can't remember what game it was, but um, I told him that I had plans to buy the house, and he actually ended up being um, into real estate. You know, hey, he ended up, I didn't know this at the time, but he owned like 77 properties in Salt Lake, and he really, uh, you know, kind of took me under his wing and, you know, brought me out to lunch and explained to me the different ways that you can set up. You know, this is important stuff, but set up loans and, you know, FHA this and all this, these different avenues that you can, you know, really do some uh, cool things with. And so I ended up, instead of buying just like a, a regular, a regular uh, single family home, I ended up buying a duplex, renting out the one half and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But it definitely was like a spark for an idea and uh, definitely got me thinking. And now, you know, I do different types of deals. I'm, uh, right now, in the middle of my first flip, which is uh, not as easy as HGTV would would make it seem, <laughs> um, which is actually in um, kind of around Beatty's Ford, which is a really cool neighborhood around uh, Charlotte, really historic neighborhood. So I'm um, really excited about that. But yeah, I mean, the, the main goal of all that, uh, you know, and before this uh, was just to provide to be able to provide um, affordable housing for people because, you know, I'm from Boston and it's, a, it's an issue there as well. And there's all these different cool types of properties that are, uh, you know, um, multifamily that, that, you know, should be Section 8 and should be, should be affordable housing. Um, and I think in the real estate world kind of forget about you know, the social impact that they, they, they could have while still making money um, and while still being a profitable business. So um, definitely what I've been trying to explore and how I've been trying to um, grow that grow that business with that in mind. Um, and like I said, I think the sleeping bags and uh, and just seeing what's going on and with the 10 city and show, it really plays into my thought process around um, what can be done. Tell me a bit more about, you know, you mentioned the aspect of real estate, but still being able to provide affordable housing. 
and still have it be a profitable business. And to you know, an outsider just hearing that, like, wait a second, how can it be affordable yet you still make money? So for those who may be listening to this and thinking, huh, explain that for them. How, how are you able to provide affordable housing and still make a profit? Yeah, well, I mean, it obviously depends on, you know, what your margins are in a certain space. But uh, a lot of times it's it can be very beneficial um, just because uh, it's not paid um, or at least it's not paid a lot of instances directly by the tenant. So um, it's very reliable. Um, and if you get, you know, if you do your, Due diligence and, you know, you, uh, you're, you know, just kind of very aware of the, the industry it can be very, very rewarding. And, uh, like I said, just, you know, very reliable. And, and a lot of people have these, um, horror stories, but I think that those are, you know, few and for, further in between than, uh, a lot of people let on. So is this a matter of working with local agencies who are able to subsidize the, the housing costs or how, how does all of that work? Yeah, so um, every, you know, every city is a little bit different. Um, but for the most part, yeah, you're, you're, you're working directly with the local agencies and they're dealing a lot with the placement and doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, um, so it's, it, like I said, it's, you know, once you make that decision, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and, and you'll find that a lot of the cities are very helpful, um, in setting it up and, 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 um, getting through some of the paperwork and some of the things that you have to go through. But yeah. Awesome. And you, you mentioned the property on Beatty's Ford Road, which is, of course, post readers, you know, they're, they're very familiar with the BFR. A lot of them live on the BFR, called the BFR home. I know our publishers went to, West Charlotte and our very, very proud Dubsey alums. And of, of course, uh, Councilman, I, I call him Smudgy, but to everyone else, he's Councilman James Mitchell. And of course, with the uh, the Quarters of Opportunity program that's going on along, you know, Babies Ford Road, West Boulevard, and as well as the other four parts of Charlotte, you see this, this focal point of where affordable housing is definitely in the conversation for the city. So tell me a bit about, you know, one, how many properties do you have in Charlotte? And two, what has been the process of working with the city? What's that been like so far? Um, so uh, that is, well, it's, so Charlotte is very interesting. It's been a little bit tougher uh, just because of my situation and being here for such a short time. Um, like I said, this is going on my second year here. So um, that is was my first kind of foray. And I've worked on a couple of deals in um, Rock Hill and uh, kind of around Charlotte, but not. This is my first foray in, into Charlotte. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, when you get to a place, it's, there's a little bit of figuring out, trying to figure out what neighborhoods and um, just kind of like the, the lay of the land. Um, and so I, uh, it's very, this is a very exciting place um, in terms of real estate. There's lots of opportunities. Uh, there's lots of space. Like uh, being from the Northeast, um, I'm just really not used to this type of, uh, I guess, landscape. Like there's just so, there's a lot of space and, um, 
it's 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 definitely different um so you know i i do want to continue to um um you know explore what charlotte can can offer and work with councilmen uh council people <laughs> uh and everyone that's kind of in that space so hopefully this can be kind of a a leaving pad, leaving pad to doing more work in Charlotte. Fantastic. Well, hey, you mentioned it's a flip, so we can't wait to see the before and after pictures and hear how everything ends up turning out for you. So, as you know, the, you navigate the off season. What does a typical off season entail? I know it's it's a little different because there's a pandemic. You're waiting on what the USL Championship schedule rollout will be like, and all of the fun things that have come with 2020. Yay! But what does the off season look like for you? Well, this, like I said, this off season is a little bit different. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to be with Charlotte next year, so there is. Uh, Right now, I have my agent hat on. I represent myself, so I am looking um, for a new situation, a new team. Um, I love Charlotte, and I hope to uh, get back here someday for sure. But I, you know, I think the immediate future is going to be somewhere else. Um, but the off season is an interesting piece, especially an off season where you don't really know uh, where the where the the end is going to be. You know, there's not really a firm date of a startup. So a lot of it is just, um, you know, management. You don't want to do too much, but, you know, this is such a good time to grow your game, grow yourself, um, and uh, you can make a lot of good strides in an offseason. So uh, I don't really sit still for long. I think I was back out there about a week and a half later. Uh, just a lot of it, too, uh, is just, you know, uh, off season training, training by yourself. A lot of that's like therapeutic for me. So I, uh, really just enjoy that. Uh, so it's, it's, it definitely comes with its challenges. I think this year is going to be a lot different for those reasons. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see kind of what happens in the next coming weeks and, and days. Now, for those of us who, have not experienced one playing professionally and two, what it's like to be a free agent in this league or MLS or any league for that matter. What's it like to be a free agent and how does the pandemic, aside from not knowing when the season starts, how does it impact that? Um, well, I think, you know, just like, you know, any industry, finances are completely changed. Um, you know, like I said, there's some tough times right now and clubs, um, leagues aren't really, um, they're not immune to that. So, so people are trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen in terms of fans, in terms of a start date, in terms of budget sizes. And so it's, it's very tough. And, uh, <laughs> I would say that it doesn't get easier after 30, uh, I turned 30 in September and it seems like that is, you know, that stigma is very real, although I don't it makes sense. I understand it, but you know, it, it gets a lot colder out there <laughs> um, on the other side of 30. So, um, you know, I, I, at this point of my career, I've been through this enough times where I, you know, it's not a freak out like it used to be <laughs> because it used to be a freak out for real. But, 
you know, I'm very comfortable in, you know, my career and, you know, my game and, um, you know, where it's going. I, you know, I, I'm very confident I'll land on my feet and, uh, regardless of this pandemic. So. Well, there is another club in town. So, I mean, they aren't playing until 2022, and I'm not throwing this out there in any way. But <laughs> Char- Charlotte FC ha- has landed. So with the addition of that, you know, does that offer, you know, more, I mean, of course, it's going to offer more options in terms of, you know, young players looking at the game. But in terms of players who come in here, is there an opportunity for them to make a splash with the USL side and then perhaps get a nod from the MLS side? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I don't know the specific relationship that's going to be there between, you know, two clubs. I, you know, it's pretty far. Um, those discussions are far away from me, but, um, you know, you see it around the league, around, um, I guess the soccer world in general. Uh, one perfect example I think of all the time is Alfonso Davies. Um, I played with him in Vancouver and he started off playing USL for the Wolves. Uh, and <laughs> it's just, it's surreal to see where he is now. Um, so, you know, the, the pathway, the, the examples are there. Um, and I don't think Charlotte's going to be any different. At, you know, when I go through runs in my neighborhood and I live, you know, kind of east of the city, but, uh, when I go through, through, uh, run to my neighborhood, there's Charlotte FC flags everywhere and they haven't played a game yet. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it's such a tough time to, to leave the city because it's so exciting. Like, uh, the idea of having another team in this area of the South really is, is, uh, you know, historic in itself. And it's just, I think that it's just going to be accepted widely. Um, it already has been. So. It's just really exciting. It'll certainly be interesting to see how everything plays out. And you, you mentioned Alfonso Davies. And, of course, you know, when you think of him, for for me, in terms of just the journalistic perspective of also covering someone else who went through USL and then the 2018 MLS All-Star game down in Atlanta, Tyler Adams. And just watching the Champions League run Gosh, it seems like it was forever ago. But it was, in fact, earlier this year. And seeing those two go up against each other, you're like, man, you know, just – Two years ago, those kids, those kids, I mean, literally kids, it makes me feel so old. <laughs> but, uh, you know, of course, uh, men now, but I'm like, oh gosh, everyone, I'm like, if you're, you're, if there's still a teen attached to your age or even, mm-hmm. you know, everyone, gosh, it's, it's gonna be bad when my, uh, my nieces turn, you know, like 20. I'm like, oh god, I'm old. But nevertheless, you, you see guys like that come through and then they, they make their splash in Europe. And of course, you know, once upon a time in another lifetime, I, uh, had a had a thing when I was about seven years old. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to grow up and play for Manchester United. This was before they had, you know, the, the women's side of seeing, you know, of course, players like Christian Press and Tobin Heath go over there. But, um, yes, it, it took a lot of my parents saying, sweetie, you, you can't do that. I'm like, why, why can't I do that? But, of course, I, I digress into any opportunity to talk about my oh-so-terrible club. We won't talk about Champions League and yesterday. It was bad. But, I, don't know, I could talk about that stuff for hours, but yeah, we'll let that pass. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. So I know there's um, 
We'll talk about a fellow former Notre Dame player and one of your best friends, Bilal Duckett. One of the first questions I asked him when we spoke, God, years ago. And again, we said he's he's the reason QCFC exists. So, B, if you're listening to this, your your shout-out is here. But first thing I asked him, like, yeah, you know, do, you, do you follow any clubs outside of, you know, obviously you play for the Eagles, but, you know, who, who you're interested in? He's an Arsenal man. I hold it against him to this day. So, same question to you. Do you do you have any particular club or clubs outside of you know, the states that you follow? Uh, yes, I am. I show us a supporter. Oh. Uh, we all uh, have our <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's a. Uh, I'll say it's a good time to be a Chelsea fan and not an Arsenal fan. It is a great time. <laughs> it, it is definitely a great time, but. Hey, you know, Stanford Bridge is, it's a beauty and you, you can't knock, you know, everything that that club has done for their community over in London throughout this pandemic. Can't, can't, can't knock it. Can't say that I like yeah. the club, but I can't knock their hustle. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also, Frank, I'm just like really excited to see kind of where his uh, coach career is going, uh, how he is the manager and kind of seeing, um, how he translates, you know, his playing philosophy into his coaching philosophy is really interesting to watch. Now, to that end, is coaching something that you have done or would consider doing as, you know, your career evolves and progresses on? Um, yeah, I would, you know, yes, absolutely. I don't know if it's um, really a, a smart decision. I feel like... <laughs> Coaches go through so much stress and, um, it really is, uh, um, like a, you know, I feel like these coaches treat teams like a child almost. It's such an investment and they're just giving their entire selves. Um, but that being said, I, I would love it. <laughs> I know I would love it. So, um, you know, I don't know, you know, what that timeline looks like or if it would ever happen, but I would definitely, uh, I would definitely, definitely be open to, you know, going down that route. Well, we will certainly keep our eyes and ears open for, one, where to watch you play in 2021 because 2021 is less than a month away. Not sure how that happened, but it's almost here. And we will also... Nervous. Uh, no, 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 no nerves. No nerves. Just we'll sip some coffee and be like, it's fine. It's all fine. It's all totally fine. But... It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today, Aaron. Thanks so much for joining us on Sports Charlotte. Much success with everything that you've got going on from everything on the pitch to the real estate side of things, the philanthropy side of things. I mean, you are definitely busy, but, I mean, it's more for us to talk and write about. So we appreciate it. Stay busy. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll have to do it again soon. And for all of you who are listening to Sports Charlotte for the first time or you are a returning guest, we're so glad that you decided to join us today. Make sure that you head over to the Queen City Podcast Network. You can find all sorts of fabulous podcasts, not just Sports Charlotte, but all sorts of fabulous podcasts over there. You can check us out on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, The Works, whatever your preference is. You can also head over to the charlottepost.com and do the QCFC tab. Find all of our soccer-specific content there. And you can also check the paper out every single Thursday and you know how to do all of this. Just go to the charlottepost.com. It's really all there for you. Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter every Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. in your inbox. And until next time, I am your host, Ashley Mahoney. Thank you for joining me. 
Fort Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.